Let's pray as we begin. Father, I thank you for your grace given to us, and I thank you for your grace given to me right now. Um, Grace to be able to, even in my sinfulness, to be able to deliver your word. Grace in my weakness that you are made strong. I thank you that each of us, as we come in with the trials of this life, sometimes weighing us down, sometimes clouding our perspective, sometimes veiling our view of you and your goodness to us, I thank you that by your grace and by your power today, your spirit can unveil our hearts and our our minds. So I pray that that would happen now. Lord, that what is preached from your word would be applicable, but also would be applied. So I pray for the hearts of each hearer, that you would help them now, by your spirit, to hear your word and then become doers of your word. That your word would take root in their hearts, and Lord, that this week, even this week, they would find opportunity to apply the truth of your word. Lord, I pray that the greatest application of your word would be to sanctify us so that we might be used by you to take your word, the glorious gospel, to those around us. So that even in the midst of our suffering, we would be the ones who would take the good news of Jesus Christ to everyone we come in contact with. Do that work in our hearts today, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to turn, if you would, as something explodes behind me, I'm going to ask you to turn, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Um, Phil you know, just mentioned just a second ago that I was going to share a little bit about my personal life and what's going on in my life right now. Um, suffering is something I am not new to, and I'm not just talking about the back pain I wake up uh, with every morning. I'm 36 years old, and I deal with arthritis, I deal with back pain, and I know all of those things sound really sad, and you're probably saying, oh, that's just too bad for you. But there's some reality in my life where suffering has just been a part of my existence. I've seen people suffer. As a pastor, you see people suffer. You meet people at their weakest, at their most vulnerable. Um, The hospital is a second home to me. Uh, I pastor an aging congregation, um, and I spend a lot of my time in funeral homes um, and in hospitals. I spend a lot of my time around people who are at their worst. And um, sadly, there's one funeral home in in our county... And uh, they know me on a first-name basis. They have my cell phone number. They call me about once a week. Um, And then there's uh, another county adjacent to us, and there's about ten funeral homes over there. And I think half of them are the same way. So I've seen death. I've seen suffering. I see people in this weakened state, and I'm often reminded um, that I've got to be an example as a pastor. That's a huge task to undertake, that in the middle of my suffering, whatever it may be, I've got to set an example of what suffering is supposed to look like for a Christian. My life has been full of watching people suffer. The first memory I have of my father is at the hospital. I was um, nearly two years old, and I remember pulling up to the hospital in the car Um, and getting out of the car, and we weren't allowed to go in to see him, but he waved from his hospital room. That's the first memory I have of my father, one of the earliest memories I have altogether. Uh, My dad has, over the years, had uh, 21 years ago, had a kidney transplant uh, and has had that kidney up until two weeks ago when it failed. Um, So when I say suffering, I've seen suffering recently. 
my mom, five years ago, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer um, and was given five years to live. And the day I flew out, she was released from the hospital with antibiotics for an infection that she had and pneumonia. And they said, well, go home and take these and we'll see what happens. Uh, my dad as we speak, is in the hospital. This whole summer has been spent in the hospital with my parents. That's not for you to feel sorry for me or to pity me in any way or my family in any way. That's to say, even at 36, I can speak with some sort of knowledge about what suffering really looks like. Um, If I continue to tell the story of my father, I would tell the story of uh, him losing sight in his eye. While we were missionaries in Malawi, Africa, he went out to a village one day and he felt like he had trash in his eye as he was driving. And the next morning he woke up and at the end of his cot, he could not see the end of his cot. Um, He was completely blind in his eye. Um, He had a prosthetic put in several years later and four years ago began to have injections in his right eye in the only eye, good eye that he has um, because it was beginning to go. He has a, a partial occlusion of his central retinal vein, and that sounds really official. It just means he has a blood clot. He has a blockage of his retinal vein, and they continue to give him injections. And I, I make jokes about it because you know, the fact is when you're a kid, you're told uh, you know, that, that thing you used to say, you know, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. And my dad gets a needle stuck in his eye every three weeks. I don't know if I could do that. And I don't know if you're in that boat with me. But for me, when I look out at you and I don't know your situation, it's hard for me to make that connection. If this were my people in my church, I know what they're dealing with every day. For me, it's hard to imagine having to undergo that continual suffering. And yet what I have seen more than anything in my parents is a resolve not just to get better, but a resolve to trust Christ in the middle of all of their suffering. That that doesn't take pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. That doesn't take the type of willpower that some of you may think. It actually takes a move of God to help you see how great He actually is. And so today I want to come to this text and I want you to see the prize that's before us so that you might have a different perspective on your suffering which would help you to persevere. So if you would turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning with, with verse 3. And we read these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And that sounds almost like a prosperity gospel. You're being guarded for this great inheritance that's yours in Christ, but then the tone changes in verse 6. Tremendously. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Just this week, maybe you heard that that faux gospel guy on TV who seems to have gone just way off the deep end, Pat Robertson, said that it was okay. In fact, he would even suggest it for a man whose wife was dealing with Alzheimer's, that it would be okay for him to leave his wife, divorce his wife, in order to start another relationship so that he might find fulfillment and joy in this life. I don't see enough shock on your faces from that. Because when I hear that, I just get angry. My, my reaction is pure and utter gospel anger when I hear that. Because there's a sense in which all that we've ever known from this prosperity gospel that's been preached and preached and preached and taught and taught and taught is this, that you're supposed to seek happiness now and Jesus is supposed to give it to you now. And now that applies to being able to shuttle off and jettison your own wife for your own pleasure and your own comfort. That takes everything to a new level. Someone who's suffering and you have promised that in sickness and in health you will love and cherish and honor. You've determined that that is no longer a sickness that you can deal with. And so you're willing to walk away. For someone who proposes to be a minister of the gospel to, in any way, say that that's okay. Just needs to hang it up right now. Just walk away. There's no excuse. But that type of mindset has set in, in America... And even among evangelicals, in such a way that we find ourselves, no matter what the circumstances, whether it's our family, our friends, our churches, or even just life in general, our jobs, we find ourselves desiring the here and now more than the hope of glory. We find ourselves desiring happiness and fulfillment now even more so than what we're promised in the future. We find ourselves wanting and even changing locations or jobs or family members or churches in order to find something that's temporal and temporary as opposed to something that's eternal and lasting. The reason is, I think in America... And this is going to sound silly. I think in America, Buddhism has just really caught on a little too much. Our celebrities have caught on to Buddhism. And here's what Buddhism teaches about suffering. Escape it. It's not really real. Just escape it. And we want to live our lives escaping suffering. The Word of God tells us that suffering is not just something that may happen in your life. It's the norm. It's the norm. In our passage, we just read 
Verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. It's reality. You will not escape it. Suffering is a part of life. And yet our culture has begun to take suffering and has placed it on themselves and now become victims. I want you to consider for just a second a mark of an unbeliever who's suffering. What do they look like when they suffer? Because I think if we can see the problem, then this passage will offer a solution for us. And the problem is that as unbelievers, people suffer, and their first reaction to suffering is shock. My word, how could this happen to me? Typically, we ask the question, why? Why is this happening to me? What have I done? I want you to consider if you are the type of person that asks the question why all the time when suffering happens to you, why me, Lord? What you're actually asking is, why not him, Lord? Because suffering is real and it's going to happen to people. And when you begin to ask the why me questions, what you're actually wishing on others is that they would suffer instead of you. If suffering is real, you're going to undergo it. Don't be shocked by suffering, yet our world seems so shocked to suffer. People lose jobs and they're like, what? What did I do? Why me? Now, I don't want to discount suffering. Suffering is real, and yet we shouldn't be shocked by it. Another mark of an unbeliever in the middle of suffering would be self-pity, that victim mentality. I mean, just look at our culture and you can see this victim mentality. You can go into a courtroom and a serial killer who chops up and eats people can stand in a courtroom and blame it on his mom not loving him enough. And people go, oh, poor guy. Because we've bought into a victim mentality. How does that look in our lives? How can we fight that? How can we identify that in our lives? Well, I mean, in the middle of our suffering, when someone wrongs us, don't we just want everybody to know that our reaction is justified? There is no sin that anyone could do to you that would justify your own sinful response. And yet victims feel like they are entitled to a response no matter how sinful. So look at your life and make sure that you're not marked by that type of mentality. The victim mentality, the self-pity. The third mark of an unbeliever in the middle of suffering would be hopelessness. If we're shocked that this could happen to us, and if we become victims, then it's very easy to suffer from the depression that comes with suffering. You know people like that. I'm going to guess that you know people who deal with suffering in these ways. I used to be a person who dealt with suffering in these ways. When I was a teenager, as I watched my dad suffer on dialysis and I watched people around me suffer, I could not, I could not fathom how God would let that happen to my parents who had been so faithful. I had a poor theology of suffering, but an even smaller theology of God and His sovereignty. That led me into deep depression, hopelessness, to suicidal tendencies, to even trying to take my own life. 
now as I look at suffering around me, it pains me and it hurts me, but it doesn't shock me. And it doesn't lead me to hopelessness anymore. And that's because of what I read in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, I believe that we are given a new perspective on suffering that will lead us to persevere in suffering because we can hope in the prize of our faith in the midst of suffering. Look back at the passage. And we're going to cover this and you'll see, I hope, I pray that you will see some foundational aspects that will help you in the middle of your suffering. Look at verse 3 again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the, from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Let me first say this, if you are here today and you are not a believer in Christ who has been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you do not have a part in this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And so this message of what a believer would look like in the middle of suffering, what Jesus-centered suffering would actually look like, isn't for you. There's a different message for you. And this is the message for you. Unless Jesus Himself had suffered, we could not, as verse 3 says, be born again to a living hope through His resurrection. You see, the resurrection was necessitated by the fact that Jesus suffered and died. And so we know suffering is real, but we know the one who ultimately suffered to heal us in our suffering and in our sin and shame. I'm thankful today for a picture of what it looks like to be shamed by our sin. If you want a picture of that, just talk to Phil after the service. He, he, he can give you a picture of what that looks like. That's not because of his sin, but because of a little fire that happened earlier. Shame causes us to run away from God. And yet, sin and our knowledge of our sin should lead us to repentance. Lead us to run to the only one who can take care of the issue. And it's because Jesus suffered that you can be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So today, trust Him that you might live again. But for those of us who have trusted Christ and have been born again and do have a part in this inheritance, it's that inheritance that we need to keep in mind. It's that hope that we need to keep in mind. It's that future that we need to keep in mind. Instead of focusing so much on the present, we need to see the future that's promised to us. And that future is a new perspective for us. So as we look for a new perspective on suffering, our perspective first has to look to the future. We have to see that we have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. All opposites of what's happening in our own bodies and in our own lives. Our bodies are dying, and yet our inheritance is imperishable. Our bodies are defiled by our sin and defiled by even the acrid smoke of, you know, burning plastic leaves. 
We, we go places and our bodies break down and they're defiled in these ways and yet our inheritance is undefiled. We know our lives are fading away as we suffer, as we deal with cancers, as we deal with heart problems, as we deal with just the age of our bodies. We feel the life fading away. And yet our inheritance is unfading. We try so hard to keep things for ourselves, don't we? And yet our inheritance is kept in heaven. We try so hard to hold on to our health and our prosperity and our comfort, and yet our hope and our inheritance is set in heaven. To have a future perspective will help us in the middle of our suffering. But that future perspective then has to take into account what's actually happening to us now. Just because our inheritance is in the future doesn't mean suffering isn't real. Suffering is very real. If I were to bang too hard on this pulpit right now, my hand would hurt. If you go out today and get in a car accident, it will hurt. Maybe not today, maybe two days later, but it will hurt. Suffering is real. Some of you are dealing with it right now, and to belittle the fact that you're dealing with suffering would be irresponsible and uncaring, but it would also be untrue. Suffering is real. So what do I do about today? It's one thing to think about the future. It's one thing to set my mind on things that are above. It's another thing to think about today and deal with today. Well, an unbeliever would look at today and run to the wrong means in order to escape their difficulties. Spurgeon put it this way. He said, Unconverted men often run to wrong means in order to escape from difficulties, and you will be sure to do the same if your mind yields to the present pressure. Trust in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Your wisest course is to do as Moses did at the Red Sea. There at the Red Sea, seemingly impossible situation he, was told, he told the people, stand still and see the salvation of God. So today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to implore you with a future mindset of future grace and future glory, stand still in suffering and see the salvation of God. For those that wait upon the Lord will mount up on eagles' wings. Stand still and see the salvation of God. What does it look like? Well, first of all, we need to see in our perspective that suffering is necessary. That suffering is necessary. Look back at our passage. Look what it tells us. Look at verse 6. That change in tone. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Necessary. Your suffering is necess necessary for what, Brad? What, what could possibly be gained from your mom dealing with cancer and your dad getting injections in his eye? What could that gain for them or for you? Well, I'll tell you one thing it gained for me. It, it tests my faith. It tests what the object of my faith actually is. Is it in health? Is it in prosperity? Is it in my dad's eyesight? Is it in the doctors? And I think back to a story in Scripture that shows the testing of faith. I think back to a story in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, 
In verse 45, we're told of a story. We're told of a story of Jesus' disciples getting into a boat. And it goes something like this. It says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, right in the middle of the night, in a time where people do crazy things when they wake up, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. We have various versions of the story. And one version of the story is also, hey, let's do a little walking. We have a story here where he's walking out in the middle of the night. And he doesn't like light up with light and say, hey, here I am, everybody. Look, it's not dark anymore. No, in the middle of the darkness, in the middle of their fear, he joins them. So for me... What I find hope in, what I find perspective in, is that in the middle of all of my fear, it's necessary so that I might trust the only one who can take care of my fear. Look at what he says. He says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Listen today. Listen in the middle of your suffering as you're waiting to see the salvation of the Lord. He doesn't necessarily change your situation or your circumstances. He makes sure you know that the one who is with you is He. He says, it is I, do not be afraid. You think back to Peter walking on the water, the guy who writes our passage of Scripture today. And as he's walking on the water, did the wind and the waves stop? As he walked on the water? No, it was the winds and the wave that scared him as he walked towards Jesus who was his salvation. As he walked towards Jesus, he was distracted by the winds and the waves. Could Jesus have stopped the wind and the waves? Absolutely, because when he got in the boat later, that's exactly what happened. And yet the wind and the waves were necessary in Peter's life. The darkness, the middle of the night, was necessary for the disciples. Your suffering today is necessary in order to accomplish something. And that something is the testing of the genuineness of your faith. Look at verse 7. So that... 1 Peter 1.7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A perspective of the future shows the necessity of your suffering today. That it might produce trust in Christ. If in the middle of your suffering you find yourself fearing, wait on the Lord and see His salvation. And His salvation is in none other than Jesus Christ. Hear Him. Listen for Him in the middle of your suffering. And know that your suffering is necessary to produce a testing of your faith, to see what the object of your faith really is, if it really is Jesus. 
But I want, you, I want to give you some good news in the middle of this necessary suffering as well. If your perspective is on the future, that future hope of glory, and we have a necessary suffering that's going on, we have to also see that it's a temporary suffering. So our perspective is future and sees our suffering of today as necessary and temporary. Look at what our passage says, verse 6, And this you rejoice, though now for a little while. Thank goodness. My dad's been dealing with illness, serious illness, for 35 years. That doesn't seem like a little while. And yet, according to Scripture, I can trust that it is, and that the hope of eternity far outweighs anything he's dealing with right now. In the middle of your suffering, do you ever get just tired of people being happy? Anybody get worn out by happy people? I get worn out by happy people. My wife is happy all the time. In fact, if you see, uh, if you knew us back in the day, and I'd come out and visit Phil, and um, it was right after, I guess, right after we got married, Joanie and I got married, and we're visiting with Phil, and she wakes up and comes out and goes, Good morning, everybody! And I'm like, Oh. You get annoyed by happy people ever? Some of you look like you must get annoyed by happy people right now. Because none of you look happy. Happy people. Hospital chaplains annoy me. Not all of them, but just the bad ones. And you know the bad ones if you've spent any time in the hospital. They're the ones that you just lost a loved one and they walk in and they say, That's okay, he's in a better place. That doesn't help me right now. Because I'm suffering for real. Yes, I know if he was a believer, he is in heaven with Christ and that brings me great joy, but it doesn't take the pain away. The pain is real. And yet it's temporary. We need to be a people that actually do believe and rejoice in what Paul told the Romans. He said in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Meaning that the suffering of this present time is temporary and there's going to be something greater in the future. We need to be able to take that to heart. The problem is, we get really annoyed by the people who keep coming to us and telling us, that's okay. Because, you know, God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Except people never use the last part of that verse. They always come to us and say, God works all things together for the good. I'm like, yeah, He does. It just doesn't feel like it right now. But if you take the end of that verse, in verse 28 of Romans 8... For those who are called according to His purpose. I need to know something in the middle of my suffering. And my perspective doesn't just need to be something good's going to come out of this. My perspective needs to be that the good is in the future and in the present. Suffering is real and it is bad. And yet it is necessary and temporary because it is part of a 
purpose of a God who is eternal. If you are going through suffering right now, look to the future and the future hope of glory and realize that this suffering doesn't even compare to what you have. It is undefiled. It is unfading. It is imperishable in the future. And every bit of suffering you go through right now is perishable, fading, and defiled. And one day we'll be set right and done with. Not just because God makes all things work together for good, but because He has a plan in doing so. He is not random in His good making out of evil. He has a plan in doing so. Man, that helps. Doesn't make me like my suffering anymore, but it helps to know there's a plan. In the middle of confusion, to know who the leader is and that he has a plan. There was a movie several years ago that came out, U571. I don't know if anybody ever saw this with Matthew McConaughey. Um, And they were going to get an encryption device off of a U-boat. And their submarine was actually destroyed, and the crew was pretty much all killed, and just a small crew was on the U-boat now and had taken over the U-boat. And he was now the captain of a German U-boat, and he had to figure out how to be a captain. And when asked, what's the plan, captain? What are we doing? He made the mistake of saying these words, I don't know! And he was pulled aside by an officer and said, you're not allowed to not know. You're the captain. You have to have a plan. Otherwise, the rest of us in the middle of this don't know what to do and we don't know where we're going and we lose hope. God has a plan. And as much as that may not help the hurt, it helps the perspective. And our perspective is the first thing that needs to change. If we have a changed perspective, that's going to lead to something. If we have a changed perspective, one that looks to the future and that future hope of glory, one that sees the necessity of our suffering because of the plan of God and that it's temporary, that's going to lead to perseverance. It's going to lead to perseverance. Look back at our passage. Verse 6, And this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here's the motion of the passage. We have a perspective change that leads to perseverance. How do I know it's perseverance? Well, here's what it says. All of the verbs here are continual verbs. They're causing us to continue in hope and in faith. That our faith has been tested by these trials and it's producing something. It's a continual production of something in us. That we see that though we haven't seen Him, we continue to love Him. And because we love Him, we continue to believe in Him. And that's going to, in verse 9, cause us to obtain something. And we're obtaining that in the future, and yet we're feeling the effects of it now. 
the salvation of our souls. We're obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. That takes perseverance. It's those who persevere to the end who experience salvation. And yet we experience the fruit of that even now in our lives. As He's testing our faith and He's perfecting our faith and He's producing in us faith. Not faith in circumstances that continually change. Not faith in family members or friends or even in our local church or our pastor. But faith in the reward. Faith in Christ who is our inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. A perspective change will lead us to perseverance. If we know what's out there for us, we're going to continue in this refining process until we obtain everything that's been promised to us. Even if I didn't like my parents, which I do sometimes, even if I didn't like my parents, if my parents owned like millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of stuff and I knew that it was mine when they died, I would be nice to them. Even if I didn't like them. Why? Because of the hope of the inheritance that was coming. The good news is you have a Father in Heaven who is glorious and great, greatly to be praised and He loves you and He's never going to give you bad gifts. He continually gives you good gifts. And yet we so often want to just push Him to the side of our lives. Why? Because we've lost perspective on the great inheritance that He stored up for. If you could read the will of God that He has laid out in writing for you and what you get, would you deny Him? Would you turn from Him? Would you question Him in the middle of your suffering? No, of course not. If you knew what His will and testament laid out for you, for the future, you'd get as close to Him as you possibly could. And yet, He's given it to us. He's given us His will and His testament. And His will and His testament lays out for us what our inheritance is. And what our inheritance is, is wrapped up in none other but Jesus Christ. It's not wrapped up in streets of gold and no more pain. Those are all effects of the actual inheritance. The actual inheritance is Jesus Christ. That's what verse 7 tells us. That our tested genuineness of faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result, and that's a perseverance issue, it's going to result in something. It results in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That, amazingly, is not just the praise and honor and glory of Jesus Christ, but it's the fact that our faith that has been refined through suffering is going to then get for us crowns of glory that we're actually going to be praised for our faith. And you think back to Jesus' life and ministry on this earth, that's what he did. Remember, working among the Jews, he had a Gentile who came to him and had great faith. And what did he say? I haven't seen faith like that in all of the nation of Israel. He praised the faith of a Gentile. One day, as our faith is tested and shown to be genuine, we're going to receive glory. And yet the amazing thing we're going to do as every heavenly being is doing right now is we're going to return that glory back to the one who gives it and the one who deserves it. And we're going to lay it down in front of him. 
perspective leads to a perseverance that causes a production of faith in us that gets us through. What does that look like practically? Does it look like practically in my life? It looks like practically in my life that if I feel as if I don't understand suffering, the first thing I do is this. I admit that I have a problem. Sounds like every 12-step program, I know. But I admit I have a problem. My problem is not God. My problem is not my suffering. My problem is not my circumstances. My problem is my faith. And the good news is, for those of us who are believers, your faith is wrapped up in grace. It is not determined by your ability. It is wrapped up in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when I recognize I have the problem, I repent and trust in grace. It's amazing how much grace can change your willingness to persevere. That you, when you begin to realize that even when you fail to trust, He continues to lavish grace upon you. That's how my mom can put up pictures on her wall that say, The big C in my life is not cancer, it's Christ. It sounds trite, but it's so true. That's how in the middle of suffering, even those who have suffered for the gospel and been burnt at the stake can do so with peace. Not because they were just amazing, amazing people, because grace had been shown to them in Christ and produced a faith in them that caused them the hope and the glory that was to come. Perspective leads to perseverance. And that perseverance, as I close, that perseverance is wrapped up in a prize that you can never imagine. That perseverance of faith is all wrapped up in knowing the ultimate prize. My grandfather, I've had two... um, Both my grandfathers have passed away in the last two years from cancer. Um, My mom's dad was, a long time ago, when I was a kid, I didn't like going to his house. He was a smoker. And all he liked to do was watch golf. Um, Went to his house all the time, and when we go to his house, he had a big satellite dish, not like the direct TV stuff you see now. He had one of the big mega satellite dishes that you'd almost have to manually turn. Um, and he would sit and watch golf all day after he retired. And then if he wasn't sitting and watching golf, he'd go play golf. And I couldn't stand playing golf with my grandfather because he was such a perfectionist. I couldn't stand being around him. And in those days, when I was a teenager, I just couldn't stand being around my grandfather. I loved my pop. I was my dad's dad. He was full of grace. He was full of mercy. He was just fun to be around. But man, I, I chose a favorite in those days. But as I grew up and my grandfather, my mom's dad, began to, um, began to age, he wasn't able to play golf as much anymore. He began to soften. I became friends with my grandpa. Something I never imagined would happen. And it became... My favorite thing to do, to go to his house and sit with him and talk to him about what he was longing for with his relationship with Christ. 
at his birthday, two weeks before he died, I went in and I got there early and Joanny and I sat with him. And I asked him, I said, Grandpa, how much longer is it going to be? And he said two weeks. And two weeks to the day after that, he died. And as the family got there later and were sitting around, we thought it would be the best thing to sit in the room with him and just let him share some words of wisdom with us. And we just wanted to spend time with him. So there's about 35 of us in the room with him. My aunt asked him a question. And she said, what are you looking forward to most about heaven? And my grandpa looked at her like she was the dumbest person on the planet. And he said, Jesus. I'm looking forward to Jesus. Two weeks later, my grandpa died, and his reward that was imperishable, undefiled, and unfading was his eternally. He suffered tremendously in the last months of his life, and yet with unfailing faith because of the grace of Jesus Christ and rooted in the ultimate prize, which is Jesus Christ. Jokes have been made about my grandpa since he's been since he died. I went to his funeral, and as I was at his funeral, family members and friends were saying, "I'm sure he's up there playing around a golf right now." And I thought, my grandpa is finding Jesus wherever he is, is what he's doing. My grandpa is noticing that you know there's no sun here because the sun lights heaven, and I'm going to bask in the sun because that's his reward. My pop, that's my dad's dad, had always been my friend. His home was a safe place for me. He and my nanny are two of the funniest people I've ever met in my life. My girls became so comfortable there that, um, and loved them so much, even in the middle of pop's suffering, and he died of cancer as well. And I saw him deteriorate quickly, and then he was put in the hospital, and I, I couldn't get down to see him. And I called him. An hour before he died, after he had had two massive heart attacks. And I wasn't sure if he could understand me. I wasn't sure what he was thinking, but they put the phone to his ear. And I simply said these words to him. I said, Pop, it's Brad. And he kind of grunted. I said, go get your reward. If you're living for any temporary reward of this earth or longing for any substitutionary reward, even in heaven, other than Jesus Christ, here's the good news. When He grabs you by grace, And He grants you faith in Him. (laughs) The reward is so much better than you expect. 
So if you today as a believer in Christ are waiting for the streets of gold and the no more crying and the no more pain, hey, you're going to get all of that, but you get Jesus. And knowing that you get Jesus means you don't have to be disappointed today in your suffering. So if you will hope in future glory and future grace, understand that today your suffering is necessary and temporary. And will persevere because of grace by faith. I can guarantee, because we are guaranteed in verse 9, that you will obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And salvation is found in no one else but Jesus Christ. Today, if you are here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your salvation, you may have placed your trust in your own righteousness, your own ability, maybe even in the work ethic that you have, maybe it's in your family and friends, maybe it's in the goodness that you show to people, I want you to know that your reward for those things outside of Christ, you will get today. You will get in this life. And that's all the reward you will get. You will get their adulation. You will get their love. You will get their adoration. You will get the slaps on the back, the good old boy love. But you will not get an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I pray that today you would know Jesus, the one who never leaves or forsakes us, the one who has promised that in Him we have an eternal hope. If you're suffering today, I don't know what your suffering may be, and I do know, though, that if you're not suffering today, you know someone who is, or you'll soon enter suffering. Perspective that leads to perseverance because of the prize.